So if you guys don't know, I am Brittany. My husband and I are the campus pastors um, of Chi Alpha at Ohio University. And I'd like to start, everywhere we go, whenever we like preach at churches and stuff, we always talk about a student that needs to come to Jesus, and then we have everyone pray, because we believe that the power of prayer really does change things. And if I'm just praying for one person, then, I don't know, more stuff happens when we all pray together. So I got this text during our last class, um, some of my students wanted to, to like really feel again what, um, not again, but like really feel the impact of the cross in Jesus. And so they on their own decided to watch The Passion of the Christ, which I have vowed not to watch again unless Jesus really tells me because I can't just keep watching him die. So, so they did it themselves. And um, so, I got, so I texted them this morning and said, how did it go? And she, the leader texted me and said that... Um, the one girl who's from India who we're reaching out to, her name is Portova, and she walked out halfway through because it was just too depressing. And it's like, okay, but it's real. And like, I'm sure she watches other movies that are just as gross and disgusting. And like, I'm sure she sits and watches that. And like, I'm hoping that's because she's feeling something and not just because she's so desensitized to it. And then one of our other girls, she walked out in the middle of it and was gone for like 15 minutes because she had to think some things through. And so, I don't know, I just, I feel heavy right now, and not because of this. <laughs> I just feel heavy because of them. And so, I'd really like for us to pray so I can move on. Is that fair? Okay. Jesus, I thank you so much for these girls. Thank you so much that you did die a really brutal death for them. And God, I pray right now for Purva, God, who is so anti-you right now, but for some reason she's, she's attracted to our community, and, and I believe Jesus. That, that she will come to faith. You've, you put her in this place, in this community for a reason, and I pray, Jesus, that this movie would just start digging at things. And God, I pray that you would give Michelle favor, that when she meets with her, when she talks with her, that, that Portova wouldn't be able to forget what, what she saw, but, but Lord, that it's actually hitting her really hard. Lord, I pray that your, your kindness would draw her to repentance. And Jesus, for Anna all the stuff that she's dealing with, all the depression and anxiety and overwhelming feelings. God, would she see that you were so powerful, that you can endure so much, and that you could still conquer the grave? God, would you would you help her? Would you be mighty in her life? I know you want to. Would she just move over and let you be king? God, when did we forget that you were the king of the universe? You were powerful, you were mighty, and I ask for your help in this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks. <laughs> Hello. Okay, so for those who don't know um, my story, I wanted to start with my story. So <clears throat> I was not raised, oh, hi, I'm supposed to tell you also, you're in the class of Inspire to Share, releasing the evangelists in every church. So my story, I was not born in, I was not born into a Christian home. We weren't even like the, the Easter Christian, or Easter Christmas Christians, like we just, we didn't go. We never talked about God. I liked the idea of God. I liked the idea of someone being out there that I could talk to if I wanted to, but I didn't know how to get to him. And even though I was surrounded by people, some, some of my friends went to church with their family. Um, no one ever told me. It wasn't until I was 19. Um, I had, um, so my parents got divorced when I was young, and my dad just walked out on my family. And my senior year in high school, I started dating this guy that um, my family didn't like. And in true teenage angst, I chose him over them. And so um, a month after I graduated from high school, I threw all my stuff in the back of his truck, and then I rode off into the sunset, which is so romantic in country western songs. <laughs> 
in real life, that can lead you down a path of depression. And um, I got really, really depressed, and I started cutting and started coping with food, and I just didn't know how to handle everything. And the thought of, like, who have I become? I've gone too far. I've ruined my life. I was only 18, but I felt like when I looked out into my future, I saw nothing but this black space. I didn't have anyone in my life at that time that could step in with the gospel and Jesus. I wasn't surrounded by anything, like no one like that. And um, I ended up having a, I got hit by a semi-truck. I never really tell that in churches, but I got hit by a semi-truck. Um, I, I had this idea that if something bad were to happen to me, and I even like envisioned sitting in this the hospital, and if, um, so if something bad happened to me and I had to go to the hospital, my family would come in, they finally tell me how much they love me and they want me back. And I envisioned all of this. And then one day I got hit by a semi-truck and my mom actually saw it happen. And she came around and um, she asked me like, are you okay? Like on the side of the, the highway. And I was fine. I walked away without a scratch. And this was months before I came to faith and um, her and I got in a fight on the highway. Nothing changed. Um, so fast forward a couple months, um, I ended up having a nervous breakdown. Um, all the weight of all my decisions and everything finally hit me, and and uh, like the room started spinning. I started hyperventilating. There was something wrong with me. At that time, I, I was with my mom, and so she rushed me to the hospital. And um, by the time I got there, I had calmed down enough. But there, I knew there was something wrong with me. So I asked her to take me to a psychologist. And the same week that um, they were going to put me on antidepressants. Um, this kid just walks up to me. I'm walking on campus. It's like the busiest place on campus. Some random guy I did not know. He just walked up to me and um, he said, do you know who Jesus is? And completely out of left field. Like I wasn't even like, and I was like, no, like Jesus is a picture on a wall. Like I have no idea. And he spent a half an hour explaining like who Jesus is, why we're here, how to get to heaven. And like, that is everything that I wanted to know. Like, what is my purpose? There's got to be more to life than this. And, um, and so he, he invited me to Chi Alpha. It's the first place I've ever been where there were genuinely nice people that wanted nothing from me. And, and so I started going, and they talked about Jesus. And Jesus became very, very real to me. And um, so Jesus is real. And then they're like, hey, there's this thing called the Holy Spirit. And I was like, I'll take it. And then they were like, hey, there's this thing called missions. You should do it. And I was like, I'll go. Like, I wish there were like 100 of me. <laughs> I was such an easy disciple <laughs> because I was so desperate, you know. People will tell you that culture does not want you to shove your religion down their throats. I agree. Shoving anything down someone's throat is uncomfortable and dangerous and they could die. Don't shove it down the throat, <laughs> right? But if it's an overthrow, overflow of who you are, I cannot help but talk about Jesus because he's that real. And I know you guys know that. Like, I can't help it. Like, I'm not going to talk about how I raised my kids without Jesus because I raised my kids with Jesus. I'm not going to talk about how I, I get through a tough part without Jesus because he's the reason I get through those things. He's everything. He's in everything. That's why it's so easy to share about him. Some other people will tell you that you can't just walk up to people and tell them because that's rude. And it's not rude. <laughs> I didn't have anybody else around me. Because some people will be like, "There's." we'll talk about it. There's like um, relationship evangelism, right? Where, where you are trying to bring people into the kingdom. The problem with that is if, no one is if they're in pockets of darkness where they're not around another believer, no one's going to be able to relationally evangelize them, right? So you have to have both. You have to have the ones that come and pull people out of darkness and the ones who walk through because some people take years, right? So I was leading the small group, and I'm, and I'm going to ask you the same question I asked them. I asked them, what is the gospel? What is the gospel? 
thank you. I asked my college girls, and I was like, what is the gospel? And they're like, Jesus died for my sins. Yes, that is true. That is true, right? So, so let's assume that, that you just say, Jesus died for my sins. What is the logical end of a gospel like that? What is the logical end of Jesus died for my sins? What was the logical end? Okay. If you sit with a group of college... It sounds like it ended there. When you sit and talk to a group of college kids, they'll say, Jesus died for your sins, and what's the logical end of that? What, what, I'm sorry, what did you say again? It just ends there. It seems pretty small. And so then, then you ask them, how big does that gospel feel? And they will say, it feels very small. And that's what it feels like. I would propose, and I bet you could do a much better job of explaining the kingdom of God. <laughs> I was talking to Crystal Martin. I was like, I'm going to be talking to people who have probably been a pastor longer than I've been alive. But, um, and you can do a better job. I am, I'm not a preacher. I'm, I'm just a person that goes and tells people about Jesus, <laughs> right? On campus, if you try to explain the 316, it's not enough. It's not that it's wrong. It's not enough. I'm... This class isn't in a how, this course isn't a how-to class, it's a resource class. I'm going to give you a lot of resources. So the kingdom of God. When understood in the, con this is um, Kingdom Come, an amazing, amazing book. If Kyle and I, my husband's Kyle, if Kyle were to write a book, this would be the book he'd write. When understood in the context of the good news of the kingdom of God, it becomes clear that Jesus' death was not just to get individuals to heaven. It was to fix an entire creation that had been distorted from the fall. When Adam and Eve sinned, everything about God's created order was put in bondage. It was not just that our relationship with God was broken. Everything was broken. The life-giving relationship with God that we were supposed to have was severed. The deep, meaningful relationships we were supposed to have with one another were infected with selfishness and pride. And the entire created order was set off balance, no longer to operate in its God-given harmony. The good news of the kingdom of God is that God can fix it all. Our relationship with God, our relationships with each other, and the harmony of the created order. So Jesus died not simply so the lost individuals could go to heaven, but so that all creation would be redeemed. God really is out to change the world. When explaining salvation, it's the kingdom of God. When Jesus talked about salvation, it was he explained what the kingdom of God was like, right? The kingdom of God is like a man who goes and he's digging up ground and he finds his buried treasure. And it's so valuable that it's worth going back and selling everything that he has. So when you come to a person who says that, but I like sleeping around and, and I like being able to pick my future and I like being able to talk the way that I, that I want, you say that like, the kingdom of God is so valuable that it's worth leaving everything behind to go and be able to buy this land to be able to have the buried treasure. Right? The pearl of great price. They're searching, they're searching, they're searching, they're searching for this awesome pearl. People are searching and searching and searching for meaning. They're searching and searching for purpose. And so you explain to them the kingdom of God instead of how to get saved. So these, these same people that would say that, that salvation is John 3.16... 
would also say that there are two ways to share the gospel. You have relationship evangelism, right? Have you all heard that? Relationship evangelism, which is become friends in order to convert eventually. And then you have what at Wright State, that's where the school I went to, we, um, we coined cold turkey. <laughs> I don't know what else people call it. Where you just randomly go up to them and ask them about Jesus. This is, you go straight for the need for a savior and you convert immediately. So what if you're not good at that? Then are you just exempt from doing evangelism altogether? No. What I'm going to propose to you today is that there are actually four. There are four possible evangelism styles, and that comes from this book, which I would highly recommend. This is Becoming a Contagious Christian. I'll put these up here so you guys can see them. Kingdom Come is more of a discipleship book, but it totally works for evangelism. Becoming a Contagious Christian is um, an evangelism book. So I'm giving you four evangelism styles. I think that if people figured out what they were actually gifted in, then they would be much more keen to do evangelism. Because if you're not really the, the kind of person that's bold and just goes up to someone, then you probably think you can't for it. There's another way. So there's four. You have Peter's direct style. Peter. Peter's direct style. Peter was an all-in kind of guy, right? Uh, he, he was zealous for one way. Um, all he needed was to be convinced that he was right and there was no stopping him. He was confident. He was bold. He was right to the point. He's the one that's like, hey, Jesus and the three people. And they're like, let's, let's build those like, temples on the mount, right? Because he's like so excited. He doesn't know what else to do. And he's like, we got to do something, right? But it's like, no, Peter, that's wrong. <laughs> he's like, God, I'm so full of faith. I'll walk out in the water, right? He's, he's bold. He's courageous. It makes sense that God chose him to be the one to step up on Pentecost and to speak because he's bold. He's courageous. Like, he'll do it. He's crazy. I have a, um, I have a four-year-old daughter. I have a four-year-old, a three-year-old, and a one-year-old. Um, I don't drink. I, I don't sleep a lot. I drink a lot of coffee. Um, I don't drink either. <laughs> Just to clarify. <laughs> um, Abigail, Abigail's a Peter. She's four, and I can tell she's a Peter. So um, we read, we read uh, the Bible with her at night and stuff like that, but like we don't cover alcohol. Um, there was a time when my parents and Kyle's parents came to celebrate one of the kids' birthdays, and in front of everyone, Abby goes up to, goes up to Gigi, and she's like, Gigi, do you love Jesus? She's like, yeah, of course I do. I don't think she does. And, uh, and Abigail was like, so why do you drink wine so much? And I was like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> I, was like, I want to tell them, like, I don't talk about that. <laughs> it's okay. And then she looks at my mom, and she was like, Mama, she's like, do you read your Bible? And Mama was like, yeah. She's like, I think you should read it more. And I was like, oh, my gosh. She's like, I don't, I, don't, I don't do this. I don't do this. I, I, and then, you know, halfway, I'm like, yes, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> like, I'm so glad I don't. The thing is, when, um, when I was in college, I felt like, um, so I got saved in college, right? I heard these awesome stories that one, like when a person gets saved, I, I heard stories of people who would get saved, go back, tell their families, their whole families get saved, a revival. And I was like, I want that. And so I would go home and I would, you know, try to tell my mom about Jesus. 
And I would always leave in tears because it would just go so bad. And I felt like one time the Lord told me that you are not your family's missionary. And I just have this peace that I know that if I just do what he tells me to do and I'm the answers to other mom's prayers, and he specifically said other mom's prayers, that he will take care of my family. Shortly after that, he spoke to me that it would be my kids that would reach my family. And so my four-year-old is like doing it. It's awesome. We were at Kyle's parents' house this past weekend, and I wasn't there, but Kyle told me that down in the basement that Abigail goes up to her grandpa and says, Hey, Papa, you need to read your Bible. He doesn't read his Bible. You need to read your Bible. I don't talk about that. Like, she's just, she's that, you know? She's just bold. She's to the point. Some people need that. There are people out there waiting for someone to come alongside them and shoot straight with them, who don't beat around the bush, but who will clarify the truth of Jesus and challenge them to do something about it. There's people who need that. Well-known Christians are Chuck Colson, who I don't know who that is, but maybe you do. Chuck Colson, okay. Yeah, there you go. It's from the book. I didn't make that up. And then uh, Billy Graham, in his own way, very, like, point to the point. You need that. So it's Peter. Paul. Paul's intellectual style. Paul's approach was logical and a reasoned presentation of the gospel. He was super smart, and he used all that, right? He was highly educated, um... In his writings, you can see his natural tendency to argue, point, counterpoint. So, like, when he's talking, he's, like, he's doing both sides. Like, he's fighting both sides, and, and he has, um, he's, like, it's almost like he's fighting with an imaginary foe. Like, he's doing both sides. He's so smart. It makes sense that Paul was sent to the philosophers in, in, in Athens in Acts 17, right? Like, he, he had all the things that he needed to go in and dispute them. This is really helpful on a college campus. I'm not a Paul. You'll find out I'm not a Paul. Um... This style is becoming more and more important in our culture. So many seekers need to hear the gospel not only declared, but also defined and defended. Right? Uh, Well-known Christians, such as Josh McDowell, Ravi Zacharias, and Lee Strobel. Very cool guys. Number three is the blind man's testimonial. That is me, through and through. I am the blind man's testimonial. So in John 9, there's this blind man, and uh, he receives his sight. And the, um, the people are starting to try to, like, argue with him and talk theology with him. And he was like, I don't know anything about that. All I know is I was blind, and now I see. And, like, that's how I am with campus. It's like, I don't know. Like, it's even, like, a running joke. Like, I'm not the science person. If you want to talk science, talk to Kyle. <laughs> I don't know. What I do know is I can pray for you, and something's going to grow back. <laughs> like, that's all I know. <laughs> I don't know. I was blind, but now I see. The blind man's testimonial. These are people who need to hear, there's people around us who need to hear that there is a way out. They might not respond very well to challenge or an argument, but a personal account of someone coming to faith can really influence them powerfully. Have you guys seen the I Am Second videos? They're like famous, um, famous people who sit in like a white chair with a back backdrop and they talk about like how they came to faith. Those are super powerful. And then the fourth one is a Matthews interpersonal style. Matthews interpersonal style. So being a tax collector, Matthew is an unlikely candidate to become an evangelist. I mean, we all live there, right? I'm too sinful. I can't do this. (laughs) I hear that all the time on campus. But anyone can be a Christ ambassador. Anyone can, can be a person that speaks for Jesus. 
So in Luke 5, we see that Matthew throws this big banquet and invites all of his friends. And it's just him providing an opportunity for people to experience the presence of God. And Jesus comes and cool, fun stuff happens. He had the relationship. He had the relationship with these people, but he wanted to go deeper. The thing... I feel like there's a lot of people who are like, oh, I'm just like, this is kind of like the relational evangelism thing. It's not because you're lazy and it's not because you're smart enough to defend. It is, um, it's a true calling and um, he did all of it because he genuinely cared about them. Um, this is not passive. This kind of person tends to be very warm, people-centered individuals who enjoy deep levels of conversation and, and trust with those they're reaching out to. So it's not like just anyone who's like doesn't know enough about the Bible will then throw a party because these people still need to care about the people they're entertaining, right? These are the people. I don't really have famous people for this. It's more of like they're the ones that always throw the Super Bowl parties and like in the corner they're having like these deep theological discussions. When I was driving here today, I I drove here this morning. Um, I was praying through these things. And I was like, God, you need to be all of them. It's not like, oh, I'm just really, really smart. (laughs) And so I can have these deep theological discussions. And so I can't host people. That's not it. We need to be all of them. I need to be, um, when the Lord needs someone who's going to be bold and courageous, I want to step up. When the Lord needs someone who's going to defend a point, I want to step up. When the Lord wants someone to host a party, I want to step up. Right? we got to be all of them. There's... um, there's this young man, um, his name is Ruben, and he was uh, loosely connected to our group. And um, he, <laughs> he was raised in a Christian home, but it was only because of his grandpa. And then when his grandpa died, he like, didn't want anything with the church. And he hates a lot of what the church stands for, blah, blah, blah. And so uh, as a freshman, he became a friend with one of our students. And he, uh, he kind of started coming to things, but not regularly. And so every, bye-bye. Um, so, uh, we have morning prayer twice a week and at morning prayer, it was always like, let's pray for Reuben. Let's pray for Reuben. We're going to pray for international students. Awesome. Reuben could be a missionary. Let's talk about, like, let's pray for Reuben. He always came up. Love Reuben. There was a, um, after two years of praying for him, um, he came to a prayer night that one of our students was putting on. And that morning I felt like in scripture, the Lord had given me a scripture for him. And so that night at the prayer time, Reuben was getting really anxious and overwhelmed by like the awkwardness of the situation for him. And so he got up to leave and I felt like the Holy Spirit said, go get him. And so before I could talk the Holy Spirit out of it, I was like up and moving, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and so like, I, I chased after him. And, um, and so we like go into this other room and I was like, Reuben, I feel like this is what the Lord spoke. And he's like, okay, that sounds, that sounds right. And I was like, Reuben, why do you not want to come to faith? And he had this list of things. And in that moment, I had to become a Paul. Like, I had to, like, all the training that I have received, I had to be able to, like, defend why homosexuality is wrong. Or, like, what do you do about that? Um, like, that was one of his big things. It's like, really, are you going to sacrifice your, your salvation for something you don't fully understand yet? And so being able to talk through that stuff. Um, but it's, um, so I had to become a Paul, even though I'm not a Paul. Um, he did end up... Um, after three invitations for salvation, because, <laughs> yeah, um, he was, I was finally like, you know, Ruben, do you want to, do you want to do this? And he was like, yeah, of course I do. And so we prayed and then we went back just to finish the story. It has nothing to do with my notes. Um, cause I hate when people like talk and they don't finish a story and it's like, I just want to know how it ended. <laughs> so, 
So um, Ruben and I went back into the prayer room, and it's just a room on campus. It's a classroom. And uh, it turns out they had just said amen, and they, they had all grouped together, all of them in there, and they were praying for Reuben. And it's so cool to know that, like, they were praying as, like, we were fighting. So it was so cool. Um, so, yeah, four, four things. Um, so let's move into – how much time I got? Okay. So let's talk into – talking about evangelism versus missional communities. Have you guys heard of missional communities? Okay, what have you heard? Well, our church is a missional church. Okay. So we, our community will be encouraging people in our Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Um, so people think evangelism, they think one person going to one person and trying to share Jesus with them. A missional community is a group of people who are on mission together. I'm talking like four or five people. They, um, a missional com- community, a group of individuals choosing to live life on purpose together in order to show Jesus to others and bring them into community. Okay? So a small group could be a missional community. And so imagine your small group decides that we want to live missionally. And they decide that six of them, six of the seven, happen to have students who go to the same high school. So they decide, missionally, we're going to try to reach um, a segment of the high school. So their kids happen to be on the football team. So they decide, we're going to reach out to the football team, all the parents, on purpose. So they decide, as a community, we're going to go to every football game. And we're going to sign up for everything that they need volunteers for with the purpose of reaching out to the, the parents of the students. They are living missionally. Okay, that's different than just, okay, we're going to pick one person and we're going to try to reach them ourselves. That way, when you confront something that's kind of difficult, you have four other people who are praying with you, who if you don't relate to a parent really well, you have someone else that can come along. Does that make sense? It works so much better when you do it as a group. It really does. We also teach our students that um, when you do it together, when someone sees a nice person, they think that's a nice person. When they see a group of people doing something, they think there's something different about them. Right? So, my next book for you. There, there are two books that you can read to learn how to do this. One of them is Surprise the World. The Five Habits of Highly Missional People by Michael Frost. Very small writing, so sorry. Surprise the World by Michael Frost. We're going to go over this a little bit right now. And then the other one that I would highly recommend is called Saturate. I also think it's so impressive when um, pastors and preachers and teachers give the titles and the authors. I do not know who authors that. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> Names is not my thing. <laughs> no, just that. Those two. I would highly recommend reading those. Saturate is written by um, a guy <laughs> um, who him and his friend decide that they want to reach the Seattle area, and so they, they pick up everything, they move, and um, they talk about how to reach a community as as um, as missional communities. It's amazing. So helpful. I would totally recommend that. If I were to lead a church, I would do it like Saturate. 
we're going to talk about surprise the world. Oh, the reason why I can't show you saturate is because we let a student borrow it, and I only have one copy. It's better for him to read it anyways. So <clears throat> it's saturate. Yeah, yeah. S-A-T-U-R-A-T-E, saturate. It's orange, has blue. It's like hard to look at. <laughs> Yeah, it'd be fun. Okay. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Because he's actually a pastor of a church. Kyle is a little bit different than church world. He's an actual pastor of a church, um, and he teaches how there are um, there are rhythms of life and how to um, incorporate missions with the rhythms. And so he recommends, and I can't remember all these off the top of my head because, again, I don't have the book um, with me. And um, he recommends, like, twice a week having lunch with someone. And, um, yeah, just, just read the book. It's amazing. So, Bells, read the book. It'll <laughs> change your life. Change the way you do ministry. So, Surprise the World, Bells, that's what this little tiny book is about. Um, and it talks about... Five habits of highly missional people, which is what I have up here. That way you're not just staring at me. Um, there are five habits of highly missional people. If you incorporate these into your missional community, you will reach people. Bless. Highly missional people, bless. I will bless three people this week, at least one of whom is not a member of my church. So again, you have your small group. You decide we're going to be a missional community. You just put, implement. This is one thing you can implement. You could implement saturate. If you implement this, all of them are deciding we're going to bless three people this week, one of whom is not a member of the church. Eat. I will eat with three people this week, at least one of whom is not a member of the church. Everyone eats, right? So meet for coffee. Meet for, have people over for dinner. Like These are some things that we are already doing, but doing them on purpose. Right? So eat. I will eat with people. I will eat with at least three people this week, one of whom is not a member of the church. Listen. I will spend at least one period of the week listening for the Spirit's voice. You just assume people are doing that? But you know what assuming does, right? Seventh grade taught me what assuming does. I will spend at least one period of the week listening for the Spirit's voice. Learn. I will spend at least one period of the week learning Jesus who Jesus is, how Jesus does it, learning Jesus. And the last one, sent. I will journal throughout the week about all the ways I alerted others to the universal reign of God through Jesus. So you're journaling about how you are communicating Jesus to other people. Blessing. It teaches them to be generous. If you bless, you'll become a generous person. Eating teaches hospitality. If you eat with others, you'll develop a greater capacity for hospitality. If you listen, you'll become spirit-led, which is what I'm working on right now. Um, you'll foster a habit of listening to the spirit. You'll become increasingly more spirit-led. I want to be able to walk, because this is what happened to me. Like, I was just walking on campus. The Lord spoke to someone and said, stop and talk to her, and it changed my life. I want to be able to walk on campus and the Lord to say, hey, talk to her, or hey, that person just had an abortion. You know, like, he can do that. I want to do that. I'm, I'm promised as a spirit-filled person that he does that. I want to do that. 
So learn, if you learn to be Christ-like, you're, um, if you are learning Christ, it's fair to assume you'll become more and more like Christ. And if you practice being sent, you'll be missional. If you keep track of how you've been sent out, it'll encourage you to keep going because you'll see that you are being sent. So I highly recommend having a class on how to do evangelism. That's, that's why I'm, I'm glad you guys are here, and that's what I'm hoping like is the biggest thing that you take from this, is I've got to have a class. Because Kyle and I were speaking at a church um, two weekends ago, and we were talking about Kyle and Jesus and all this amazing stuff. A lady comes up to me, and she was like, I feel like God wants me to share with the people around me. How do I do that? And this is like a 40-year-old woman. Like, how do I start sharing about Jesus? And it's like, oh, they don't know how. <laughs> And so I got to talk to her, and um, just really, like, basic stuff of, um, she was saying that, like, there's people around her that she feels like God wants her to reach. And so I talked to her about, like, how I do it. So I went to four different Starbuckses after I graduated, and I started a Bible study everywhere that I went. How did I do that? So I would have scriptures that I was memorizing, and I would write them out on pieces of paper, and in free time, um, I'd be like, hey, I'm memorizing this scripture, can you help me? And now this person is memorizing scripture with me. <laughs> Who doesn't know Jesus? Or um, there was this one time that I was doing that with the scriptures, and um, I was, I kind of remember, I can see it. And I remember telling this girl, I was like, I am so encouraged by this scripture. Isn't this cool? And I was telling it to her. And she was like, oh, I used to be in the church and my family, blah, blah, blah. And, and I was like, well, hey, I, I like to say scripture. Do you want to do that with me? And she was like, yeah, sure. And so she sat down, not like later, later we sat down and um, there was another girl there that heard us talking. And so she wanted to join. And so I just started a Bible study. Um, and so I was telling her, like, just doing that with scripture. Um, when people say that there's something wrong happening, then you actually like, and she was a really nice lady. And so I was like, just take their hand and pray with them that is so natural for me now. Like I can't even help, but like, Oh, you're having a bad time. Let me pray. <laughs> I can't help it. People have to be trained. And so I would highly encourage you to have a class. What do you do have in your class? Um, I'm proposing, I'm, I'm going to give you guys some suggestions. Oh, and I had some suggestions of a one hour class of a three hour class, which I think is not enough. Um, but I put that in my description. I'm not sure why. Um, and so a one-hour class, a three-hour class, I highly recommend a five-week class or an eight-week class. What we do on campus is we have a um, six-week class that we're going through with Kingdom Come. So we give them a book that they're going to read, and each week we break it up into, like, this is the chapter we're going to talk about, and this is the material we're going to cover, and these are the scriptures we're going to memorize. That's how we do our class. I highly recommend doing that. A one-hour class. I would provide lunch, because that's what we food brings people. Um, I would cover a biblical look on why evangelism, because it's amazing how people um, don't know if it's the right thing to do. I sat down with this girl who um, came from a Jewish background, and I was like, you know, let's sit down. Jewish background. I think of you every time. Um, so uh, we, we sat down, and her only question, okay, so this is, this is the girl who hasn't come to Jesus yet, but she's interested. She's, she's like coming to Bible studies. And I was like, you know, Sarah, let's sit down and talk. You can ask me any question you want. And she's like, sounds great. So we sit down. Her only question is why missions? And it's like, this girl doesn't know what I do for a living. <laughs> That's my job. And she's like, why missions? That seems wrong. <laughs> and so she was saying like in, the, in um, Judaism, people don't go out and find people to convert them. They, 
they're only in, like they come and ask questions. So you need to give them a biblical look on why evangelism. I would discuss kingdom versus praying a prayer. Kingdom. Imagine like an actual kingdom, right? An actual like giant castle and all this like surrounding areas surrounded by like a wall. I kind of think of like um, uh, Frozen and um, their castle. Like, may that be heaven? (laughs) It's so pretty. So kingdom. When a person decides to come into the kingdom, they are now under the protection of the king and the rule of the king. So therefore, what the king says goes, right? Like, you'd be a fool not to. (laughs) If you decide that you no longer want to live under the rule of the king and you decide to leave, you're no longer under the protection of the king. You have that choice, right? That needs to be people's understanding of the kingdom. So explaining kingdom versus praying a prayer. This is the one-hour class. I would cover the evangelism styles so that way they know what their options are and, and how to at least start in something and then grow in the other ones. And then I would share how to share your story. It's amazing how people don't know how to share their story. You mind taking one and passing it on? This is a resource that Kaiapha has that teaches people how to share their story. also need to have an understanding of um, defining the win. So if you go out with the idea of if someone, if no one comes to Jesus in this hour, I have failed. Say like, that is not true. Some plant, some water, God does it all, right? So defining the win. I remember, so like when I was at Rice State as a student, um, I loved it when we would walk up to someone, we'd have a conversation, we'd walk away, and I turned back and they were gone. In my mind and in my spirit, it felt like God put them there just so I could talk to them. And once that job was done, they moved on to other things. And so, like, that was a win. Every time they got up to leave, I was like, yes, I did my job. Like, that was my win. So in your class, defining what the win is, if they have an aha moment, if they hate Christians a little less when you leave, victory. Defining the win. Um, So how to share your story. Tell them two minutes. You're shooting for two minutes. Share your story in two minutes. And in the one-hour class, if you have time, I would even, like, have them practice. Uh, It's really easy, the before, your life before the encounter with Jesus, the journey, specific events. I I limit it to, like, two or three. You don't need to start with, I was born at 2 p.m., community hospital. The doctor dropped me. I survived. Like, (laughs) no. (laughs) No, no, no. Breathe. 
Uh, the decision, how you responded to this encounter with Jesus, like what really led you there, and then the positive changes your life since. It's amazing. If, you, if you've never done anything like this, it's amazing how they'll like focus on like, I used to be, I used to drink, have sex, and drugs, and they almost like build it up even. Like it was so cool, and it was, and then like Jesus happened, and that's it. Like, <laughs> so either they never cover the happiness that comes from knowing the Lord, um, or they build up the bad stuff too much. And then it's like, oh, man, now you're a Christian. Sorry about your luck. <laughs> so <laughs> you kind of have to help them. Um, but I would totally do that. Here's the other thing that we tell people. Like, um, two, two things we tell people. One, if they ask questions you don't know the answer to, the best thing to say is, I don't know, but let me figure it out and come back. Because then that almost gives you a follow-up. And you don't know everything, and that's okay. And then, um, oh, number two, your testimony is your sidearm. No one can can fight with you about the things that you have experienced. And we tell people that. Like, eat, like, and I'm not the smartest. I'm really not. I just happen to have experienced a powerful God, and I can't help but tell about it. And so just tell people that. Like, the practice, yes. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. So one-hour class, that was what I would do. I would biblical look on why evangelism, evangelism styles, and then how to share your story. A three-hour class, I would do all of that. And then I would encourage you guys to buy <laughs> and talk about the bells, the surprise the world. I would do a brief explanation on how to implement that in their small, in your guys' small groups. Walk them through bells. So you should buy bells, and you should read bells. So that is if you're just doing a class. I would recommend it being like a Sunday after church. That's why I would offer food, and then have them there for like an hour to three hours. One Sunday. Anyone can come, right? Or you could do a course. Like I mentioned before, we have leadership training courses. They're called LTCs. They're, we have them every Sunday, either at 2 in the afternoon or 7 p.m. at night. And they're about two hours long, and it's for six weeks. And that's where we talk about the book, pertaining materials, and the memorized scripture. So if I were you guys, I would do a five-week course and just cover Surprise the World, the Bell's book the bless, eat, listen, listen, okay? I would break that up into each week and then um, talk about how you guys can implement that. Even in the back of this Bell's book, it even has the journal promptings. This is, this is an amazing book. Um, it has the journal promptings and um, some stuff you guys can also work through with your class or with your church and your course. Very good. So I would do that, five weeks. An eight-week course would be most magical. And what I would do with that. If you're interested, you can give me your email address and I will send this to you. I didn't know how many people would be in the 17 pages long and I pay for all my printing. So, this is a study on evangelism put together by a Chi Alpha group based off of um, another book and becoming a c contagious Christian. This is an eight week course. Why, what is evangelism? Why evangelism? Why evangelize? And it goes through scriptures and passages about it. And then how to do it as well. So you have um, week one. What is evangelism? Goes over Acts. The objective to divine evangelism and relevant terms. And it has study questions that you do as a group. You look at it. They have lots of questions. And then there's a, a memorizing verse at the end of it. This is like a teaching evangelism super super easy <laughs> so i would highly recommend this if you're interested in this course um i mean it's on a website but if you give me your email address i can easily send it to you i would recommend this for an eight-week course 
Okay. Let me make sure I didn't bring anything and then ask if you guys have any questions. Um, the, the last thing I would say is I'm, I'm a really frugal person and I want to make sure that my effort is being, is worth it. And so I tend to want a large group. <laughs> um, so if I'm going to have like a missions class, it's like, okay, how many do you have to have in order to make it worth it? Am I the only one that thinks that way? Right. Um, oh, Kyle took it. The other book I would recommend is, um, Master Way of the Van, Master Way, The Master's Way of Evangelism by Robert Coleman. But in that, um, he says, A few people so dedicated in time will shake the world for God. Victory is never won by the multitudes. Everything that is done with the few for the salvations of the multitudes. You just need a few. And you can shake the world with a few. Because that few, they get it. And they get to see it happen. And then that breaks off. And then you have a couple... And so I would have a course. We're gonna, we have a course every January, January through March. So, hope that helps. Questions? Yes. Yeah. Um, this looks good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, if you can just pass that around. You know, I try to be really prepared and think of everything, and then it's always like, hmm. Okay, any other questions? Yes. Okay, I think there's a couple different camps there. And so, one, um, like, we've gone to malls before, and we had, like, Invade Dayton. I don't know if you guys heard that. Um, so we would go, and, like, we would just go into town, and, and we would just go up to people, and we would witness to them that way. I don't think that grows churches. I think that just spreads the gospel. And so to, to reach churches, that's, that's saturate, and that's surprise the world. So the people who really do gravitate toward that and have a gifting in that area, I would train, have them read the books. And there's also videos by Saturate and have them trained on how to have small groups and invite people to small groups. That is how churches, like, I, I deal with 20-year-olds. Like, they're dejected by the church. So someone just coming up to the door and knocking on their door, they're going to shut the door in your face. Like, that's, in, in the most respectful way, that's just not how it is anymore. 
And so it is, it's through relationships. And, and like, there are those four, really, like, evangelism styles. But if you really want to reach people for the church, it's going to come through the small groups that reach out and, and include people in their lives. So I would train those people on saturate in the bells. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. I think we're all called. I think everyone probably has a natural one that they do. Like, I am the blind man's testimonial. Like, that is me through and through. But I think everyone has the potential of growing in the others. So, like I mentioned, like, I am I'm not a person to debate. But in that moment with Ruben, like, that's what he needed. He needed someone to speak truth to the lies that he believed and to combat the, the things that he was believing. Yeah, yeah. So um, if a person isn't very bold, then they'll think that they don't, they're not supposed to do evangelism. But we're all called. We're all called to do it. And so um, people who only throw parties, like they've got to learn to be able to defend their faith. They still need to learn apologetics. They might not be as bold as a Peter, but they have to have that in their arsenal for when they're throwing that party, they can have those conversations in the corner. Does that make sense? So people need the permission that they don't have to be that bold. Like, if they can't go out into the streets and proclaim Jesus, then I'm not an evangelist. Does that make sense? They need the permission to know they don't have to do that because maybe they just naturally gravitate toward one of the other ones. But there should be this understanding that they have to be trained in all of them so when the opportunity presents themselves that they can do it. So because I am a because I am a missionary and a pastor on the campus, I can't just be like, I don't know anything. Like, I have to further my education so that way when I do encounter someone who wants to have a theological debate or even, like, about science, like, I'll have something to say. Does that make sense? Yeah. I don't think it's going to work in the coming generations. Uh, as a person who loves Jesus, I still shut the door on them. <laughs> like, because I'm annoyed. One time, I was pie training my two-year-old son, and I was like, I am so sorry. Like, I, I have to go. And they're like, just talking, talking, talking. My son comes to the door with no pants on and pees right there in front of them. And I was like, I've got to go. <laughs> you know, like, I don't think it's going to, like, and maybe other pockets of like, the country or, like, other ethnicities, like, hubs of different kinds of cultures, but I don't think an American is going to reach that, be reached that way anymore. Yes. I don't think people, um, people don't want someone coming to their house unannounced. Mm-hmm. You know, I haven't had, I haven't had a chance to pick up. Mm-hmm.
So something I would say, I served tables for three years, and um, the the pastors, the Christians that would come in and be so, so, so nice, and then like leave practically no tip but a track, not a tip. And as a Christian, not a tip. Um, and so if, if you do want to go door to door, which I, I think there is a right way to do that. So what we do on campus, um, we will go to dorm rooms, and we'll knock on the door, and we'll be like, hey, do you have any trash that you'd like to be taken out? No one, I hate taking out my trash, but I'll take your trash out any day, <laughs> right? So as, as people who are trying to reach different communities, if you got you know, a group of people together and like, we're going to go mow the lawn or we're going to go trim branches, you knock on the door and say, hey, I noticed that such and such, I, I know, I'm not a lawn person, but like if you're going to serve them or like you take people like, hey, we just wanted to bring you dinner, like that gets you an in and that gets you a converse, conversation started. So you can still go to door to door. I'd take something with you. Either a service project or some food. Is that fair? Especially with our society the way it is, um, somebody coming to my door that, for what is un- unannounced, unexpected, you're liable to get shot. I mean, where are you from? Mansfield? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So maybe I wouldn't do door to door. Yeah, 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 that's different. Well, I would also recommend don't go knock on doors at 11 Did you have a question real quick? Yes. Yeah. And the other thing, too, when you're training people, you got to train them what to say. So if you do decide that, like, as a community, like, as a small group, we're going to reach out to this group, whatever, in your class, make sure you tell them, like, so when someone says, why are you doing this, it's so amazing how many people will be like, we just want to be nice. Like, you got to train them and teach them, like, what do you want them to say of why they are doing this? Because do you just die for my sins? And I, I, I don't know. I wouldn't say that. Um, but tell them, like, what you want them to say. You have to tell them. Yes, please. Oh, can I give one? <laughs> um, yeah. So what we so, uh, on campus we come from the we come from the number one party school in Ohio. <laughs> oh no, in the U.S. We're Ohio University is the number one party school, and so um, people have parties for everything. And so what we started doing 
Um, there's this, it's called the walk of shame. So they they go, they party, they stay the night, and then they have to walk back to their dorm, and that's the walk of shame. And so we um, set up a table, and we have pancakes, and we have coffee, and we just we're there in case they need a resource for like sexual and abuse stuff. Um, but we also just want to like help them to sober up. So what do you say? We tell them that um, we love Jesus and Jesus has changed our lives and we know that life can be hard. And so we just want to show you Jesus in the flesh, but also help you if you need it. That's it. That's what we say. Because we want to communicate the message of it's okay. We're not judging you. But Jesus has changed us, and Jesus is love.